Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Does there come a point at which, in the interest of national security, the Fed needs to get involved and search that residence top to bottom? I'm actually surprised that a lot of that searching hasn't happened already because you make a good point. We're talking about the public revelations. This started November 2nd, six days before the midterms. It's been over two months. But let's go back to a a question you were asking Lucas Tomlinson there at, at the White House because that's the transparency conversation. As Peter Ducey was pointing out, one of the things we don't know Who went to that Delaware house? There are no logs that we get regarding the Secret Service about who has visited Joe Biden at that house where these documents are just laying about like so many uh, M&Ms in a bowl or hard candies that you would get from your Meemaw. Who has been visiting, who has had access to them is a huge question and now a national security question. And as for how this affects the Biden administration, there's really only one or two conversations. Either Joe Biden is criminally mishandling classified documents or Joe Biden is old and incompetent and doesn't know he has them. That's a terrible place for the White House to be. That was me, yours truly, Tony Katz. I had lost my voice. It was a rough, rough weekend. On Fox News, speaking to Jillian Turner, Richard Fowler, the Democrat on the panel, discussing what clearly was the only thing that mattered, the only thing that came close to mattering. Well, maybe you could argue one or two other things. No, but it's a huge one. If Joe Biden has classified documents all about his home in Delaware, We need to know who was accessing that home. We need to know who was there. That was me just two days ago on Fox News. And today, what do we learn? And Dana, some news this morning. We are learning there are no visitor logs chronicling who comes and goes from the president's house in Wilmington. An official at the White House Counsel's Office is telling me that like every president in modern history, A personal residence is personal. They make the distinction that unlike the previous administration, the Trump administration, they are committed at the White House to being transparent about White House visitor logs. But in terms of uh, what Republicans on the Hill are asking for, a record of who may have been in the Wilmington residence and potentially had access to the areas where these documents were found, it does not appear that that exists, uh, it would have to be done, it sounds like, retroactively. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything, TonyKatz.locals.com, TonyKatz.locals.com. How could you not think that this is a corrupt family, a corrupt administration, and a corrupt guy? Who was visiting the, the Delaware House? Well, we know for certain that Hunter Biden spent time in the Delaware House. And Hunter Biden is a national security threat. The questionable deals with China, the questionable deals with Ukraine, the Burisma conversation. He's getting a million dollars a year and knowing absolutely nothing about natural gas, never mind how the world works when your last name isn't Biden. And some of the documents, we know these classified documents, some of them mark TSSCI, Specialized Compartmentalized Information, SCI. That means that they would be have to be read in a skiff, in a special 
area inside areas that are already deemed okay for top secret information. That's how incredibly important uh, it is that these documents be kept safe. That's how sensitive they are if they're marked this way. And they are in Joe Biden's possession. And Hunter Biden had access to them because clearly Hunter Biden snuck out to the garage for a Siggy. By the way, I don't know if anybody still uses the term Siggy, but I went with it. And that's that. We have heard stories of people like Randy Weingarten, the horrific leader of the American Federation of Teachers, the woman who kept schools closed and attacked students. Oh, I'm saying it and I mean it, kids. If you're telling me that schools have to be closed, if you're claiming that the kids will get teachers killed, if you're claiming that the kids have to do this and have to do that and have to do the other, it's an attack on kids in my point of view. She was one of the people who visited the house. Why don't we have a log of that? What connections otherwise visited the house? We don't know. Well, maybe one could argue that if a friend comes to visit, we don't need to know that. But if classified documents are laying around, doesn't that change the entirety of the conversation? Because it changes the entirety of the conversation. Everything is different now. And if they want to claim otherwise, they're out of their heads. And if they want to claim privacy, bless them just more of a cudgel to beat them about the head with. Of course. Of course they should. This is out-of-control madness to think that you could have classified documents and people coming and going and the American people don't know who. What other deals are being made? Is anybody checking any bank accounts? We're in that stage, guys. We understand this, right? People were asking over the weekend, I think Senator Ted Cruz is one of these people, a couple others, where's the FBI raid? Guys, where the hell is the FBI raid? Why don't we know about all the classified information? Why are they dripping it out? And remember, even uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre, who six times, six times in her Thursday press briefing said the search was complete. Well, they had found more classified documents uh, on the day before, on that Wednesday. The press briefing Thursday, Wednesday, they found five more documents. And what do we learn? that the lawyers are doing this and the vast majority of the lawyers don't have uh, classification or, or or classified clearance. Clearance clearance is the word I'm looking for. I don't know. Don't ask me why. I couldn't say the word clearance. They don't have the security clearances. They had to wait for a different lawyer. And then you're forced to ask, wait, his lawyers are going through the documents? At this stage, with classified documents found at the UPenn Biden Center, in the private office of Joe Biden at the UPenn Biden Center, inside the home of Joe Biden, and in the garage next to the prized Corvette, which I admit is pretty sweet. Why has the FBI not come in and done the search themselves? It is beyond understanding. And you will note how I have made none of this political. I'm asking the question that everybody on the bar stool is asking. Everyone knows that if this was them, if the raid would have happened at 4 a.m., their wife or their husband would have been held at gunpoint, the kids would have been frightened, and they would have torn the house apart. For Joe Biden, nothing? You know, I'm really not into this idea of there are two classes of Americans. I am not a fan of this at all in the slightest. There's a rule of law, not a rule of man. And the rule of law says you can't have classified documents uh, like this, just hanging about willy-nilly. 
Now, as we discussed, there's this whole second thing going on where the left wants to say, well, the Biden administration is clearly complying and they're giving over these documents freely as opposed to Trump, who had to be subpoenaed. Don't pay any attention to that. Ain't none of this about Trump. Zero. It's about Joe Biden. I've got more of this coming up. In the meantime, IU basketball, Pacers basketball, and the future of the Indianapolis Colts. JMV is with me. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. So it was a weekend for the favorites. Well, maybe not. Maybe there were two upsets. Right, Buffalo beats Miami 34-31. That was almost an upset. San Francisco over Seattle 41-23. But the Giants late last night taking out the Minnesota Vikings 31-24. The Jacksonville Jaguars with the comeback. That's right. The Jacksonville Jaguars are moving on in the playoffs. 31-30 over the L.A. Chargers. It's the San Diego Chargers. This is so ridiculous. And then the Bengals holding off the Ravens. 24-17. It was actually, it was a good night of football. But the Colts were nowhere to be seen. That's all right. The Pacers have been nowhere to be seen in the last three games. And as for IU basketball, well, I don't, quite know what to say. The good win over Wisconsin to end a three-game losing skid. Tony Katz, good to be with you. JMV joins us right now, 93.5-1075, the fan. Let's start with uh, that IU basketball team. The win over Wisconsin, 63-45. Nice to see him get a, a, a win. Um what was different about this team after a three-game losing skid? Yeah, Tony, there's no question. That was a game they absolutely had to have. And if you go back to the second half of the Iowa game, three games prior, and then those two in between, Northwestern at home and Penn State this past Wednesday, they needed a great defensive effort, and especially from the start. I had uh, former Big Ten Player of the Year, nba player played at IU, Brian Evans, on my show last week, and he said, listen, First five minutes for this IU team, every half. That is what is going to matter, and it did. It did defensively because their defense had been non-existent. They locked in against Wisconsin, and they really didn't run away, Tony, early to get out to a big lead. I mean, it was kind of like Wisconsin and IU, a grinding basketball game on Saturday afternoon. But you could tell there was a different feel, a different juice, and then there was a different outcome from the way that IU started out and then continued to hold that course defensively. They got into Wisconsin. They played about as well as we have defensively seen them play in a long time. And that, by measure, to me, uh, helped them withstand and then get a win that was absolutely necessary considering the past three games. Does this victory change their course as they take on Illinois on Thursday? Well, it could. I'm not going to suggest sitting here right now, Tony, it's going to because that we have to see a little bit more of a consistent level of play like that from them. And, and frankly, they get a lot of juice from that home crowd down in Bloomington on Saturday, too. But, yeah, you can. Defense, we always kind of make fun of it as, well, you know, this is a great defensive team, and I'd much rather play offense than defense. I think all of us would. But, man, it is a major component for an IU team that's missing Two major pieces in Xavier Johnson, the guard, and Race Thompson, uh, their forward, their six-year player, 
uh, both out for an extended period of time. And basically, IU Tony has like two players. They have two players that anybody will fear, and then everybody else has to kind of factor in in their own way. And that's what you're going to have to see. Guys from that bench, guys that are in a supporting role, step up beyond Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen Hood Shafino. And that's what they're going to have beyond the defense to have an outcome like they did coming up on Saturday. So I don't know if they're going to be able to sustain it, but at least they got themselves in a position where they know what they have to do, especially on the defensive end, to get themselves a win against the top 25 team. That's what they did on Saturday. Let's move it over to the pro ranks where the Pacers, um, I they, they, they lose to the Knicks there in New York. They lose uh, to the Hawks at home. And if I see any more highlights from the Grizzlies just pounding, uh, the, abusing the Pacers, I'm going to be sickened. Uh, one, two, three, yeah, that, that, that's a three-game skid for them as well. What's going on here? Well, I mean, without both uh, Tyrus Halliburton and Miles Turner, that's a big deal for this team. And Tony, this team doesn't have a great deal of margin for error. You know, they have been spectacular to watch so far, fun, enjoyable, um, well beyond where we thought they were going to be this season. They're ahead of schedule, don't get me wrong. But when you take the two major components out of their lineup, as we've seen since you mentioned going back to that Knicks game, or at least uh, from the third quarter on when Halliburton got injured in that Knicks game, this is just not the same. And you really saw that against one of the league's most talented in Memphis in here on Saturday. I mean, they just took off and ran. They dictated tempo. They did whatever they wanted to. One of the best players in the NBA is John Morant. He showed that. But one of the best supporting casts in the NBA as well with a lot of Hoosier flavor, Hoosier State flavor uh, on that particular roster. And the Pacers don't have nearly enough, especially without Halliburton and Turner. And, Tony, this is an interesting time because they're going to start today in the afternoon in Milwaukee, we obviously know that's going to be a tough test for them. We'll see if Miles Turner at least comes back. But there's no Halliburton for the better part of the next week and a half, and they're going to go have to go out west. I know they have Denver on the schedule coming up. This is going to be tough. This losing skid may get longer as they continue to play without Tyrese Halliburton because he is the deal. That's what you start with on this basketball team, and he has been sorely missed. In the NFL, I thought it was actually a good uh, couple of days uh, of football. Uh, certainly the, the Bills-Dolphins game, the Dolphins kept it closer than anybody uh, thought uh, possible. The Giants being able to pull it out uh, over Minnesota, another uh, great opportunity. Uh, but none of it matters. What matters is who's our coach and who's our general manager over here in with the Indianapolis football Colts. So uh, who's our coach and who's our general manager? Well, I, I know this. Uh, if your reports are right, that Jim Mercer likes Jeff Saturday. Uh, if Jim Mercer has the uh, the final decision, which I'm sure he will, Jeff Saturday is going to play a role. Uh, they have brought in a number of interviews and coaching candidates from defensive coordinator of the Rams, Raheem Morris, uh, to uh, Ben Johnson, offensive coordinator of the Lions. Uh, they brought in uh, Aaron Glenn, who is the defensive coordinator of the Lions. So, yeah, they brought in a variety of people that they have talked to. Eric Bieniemy, who is the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. But this is all going to come down, I think, to uh, the Jim Irsay decision. And we'll see if he holds true with Saturday. I think I'm living in a world of a pipe dream of Jim Harbaugh because we've heard very little on that front, which is surprising 
you know, maybe there was something a little bit later on. Chris Ballard did say last week that he didn't care if this coaching search led into the month of February. So, you know, maybe there's still a little bit of hope for those like me that want to see Jim Harbaugh here, but nothing as of yet. And then there is a trade rumor out there where I think it was Dave Kaplan from Chicago suggested that the Colts are putting together a package, including Michael Pittman Jr., maybe another active player on their roster right now, and a myriad of picks to try to secure the number one overall selection. And apparently, by reports, the Colts so far like Will Levis out of Kentucky. I don't know if I buy that. And I, I'm not giving Will Levis. And all and all of this, wait a second, is because yeah. the yeah. we're going to find out today, right? Or have we found out C.J. Stroud over there at Ohio yeah. State might be coming back for another year because he's going to get a name, image, likeness contract, an NIL contract that's going to pay him huge. Yeah, that could happen, Tony. It could. It very well could. That's a rumor since Friday that has started, and certainly we have talked about that could happen. I don't know if any of this is true. I mean, we haven't gone through a combine, haven't gone through pro days or anything yet. I would think that maybe you could give, and this all depends on C.J. Stroud, Tony. If C.J. Stroud goes back to Ohio State, then Will Levis moves up probably a mark, and maybe you can't get him any longer at four. If Stroud stays in, you can probably, if you like Levis, get him at four. But if Stroud goes back to college, then maybe that moves the quarterback hierarchy up a little bit. You can't get him at four, and you have to trade up for him. That's going to be an interesting component of what we see. But we're going to have a lot of rumors like this as we move forward here, Tony, into this offseason, especially that number one overall selection, knowing what the Colts, among other teams, need at right. the quarterback position. My thanks to JMV from 93.5107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. I... The idea that the Colts will keep Jeff Saturday is a mind scramble. And I happen to like Jeff Saturday. I've never met the dude. But I, I, I like the guy. I think he's got fight in him. I think he, he has a desire to win. I, I think that I, I think that he might have the ability to be a solid coach. Jumping right into head coaching, I don't know. I don't know if, they, if you know, do you really create winners that way? And is is Ursay, and never mind the Colts faithful, really willing, I mean, really, really willing to wait however long that takes? And does having a coach like Saturday prevent you from getting other players and in, in, in free agency? And to that conversation, if C.J. Stroud isn't coming, well, then um, uh, do you trade up? Because I'm not, I am not feeling it. If there's only one other quarterback to get, trading up becomes something that decimates you if it doesn't work, and you keep developing Ellinger and or Ellinger Ellinger. Uh, all right, I can't say you go back to Matt Ryan. I can't say that, but Derek Carr is out there from the uh, Raiders. I th- I think I think you gotta be looking in that way, which brings us back to. Is Chris Ballard the guy to general manage this moment? And I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that at all. I mean, he comes out, oh, it was my fault, and the season's my fault, and everything's terrible, and it's all my fault. Yes. Now, why do we somehow turn that into, and therefore you get a pass for another two or three years? No. It didn't work. Godspeed. Have a nice day. I, I, I don't like... Chris Ballard, when he jumps into politics, and he has done that as general manager, and I, he comes across as a guy who has never once heard another side and is, is like Popovich-level dismissive. 
right? Thinks he's got it all, thinks he's got it covered, thinks it's the only way people think, and that, of course, isn't true. I wonder how many people in the NFL are really silenced politically or, or culturally. But just because you take the hit, it doesn't mean you get to stay, and I'm not quite sure why he's staying. I don't, I don't get it at all. Find everything, TonyCats.Locals.com, TonyCats.Locals.com. This is Tony Katz Today. So it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and it seems very obvious from the society in which we live that a vast majority of people have really forgotten the messages of Martin Luther King, especially when you're told that if you make the claim of uh, not color of skin but content of character, that you're either not saying it right or you don't know what that means or that somehow a bigotry in general. And then wasn't there a conversation recently that if you use the term aloha, um, you, 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 that, that, that's wrong. People, you can't, people can't use that term, uh, because it's, it's, um, Culturally insensitive. Yeah, it was USA Today. There it is. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Good to be with you. Find everybody. Yeah, I, I hate it when audio just audio, or like auto plays, when you're opening up a website and things just auto play. It's so absolutely awful. Oh, that should that should be a crime. That should be a crime. Um, USA Today published an article that said, is it time to stop saying aloha and other culturally sensitive words out of context? So a guy by the name of David Oliver, entertainment lifestyle and wellness reporter, who writes about diversity and inclusion, arguing that the use of the words aloha, hola, and shalom could be harmful to people of other cultures. Honestly, I'm Jewish, guys. If you use shalom, okay, I'm going to go about my life. If you're not Hawaiian and you say aloha, it could come off as mockery. These are the same people who tell you that if you're not Hispanic and you open up a taco stand, you're culturally insensitive. It's cultural appropriation. There was uh, these two women out of California who wanted to open a taco place. And they and they uh, went to Mexico and they studied and they paid attention. They opened a taco place and people then said, how dare you open a taco place? They had to shut it down. They had to shut it down. What kind of nonsense is this? Are you telling me that I have to be of some level of, of of Hispanic heritage, Latino heritage, in order to have a taco? I can't have Taco Tuesday anymore? What silliness this is. But this writer writes, the use of certain words requires education, knowledge, and the foresight to understand whether they should or shouldn't come out of your mouth. The bigotry involved here. You think this is about bringing people together? Of course not, because you're a rational human being. This is about destroying the ability to communicate, destroying the ability to understand one another, destroying the ability to bring people together. This is meant to keep people separated. It's meant to do exactly that. That brings us to Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, who according uh, to what I've got in front of me, wait, is, I, didn't, I was trying to click on the legislation. There we go. This is H.R. 61. 
to prevent and prosecute white supremacy-inspired hate crime and conspiracy to commit white supremacy-inspired hate crime and to amend Title 18 of the U.S. Code to expand the scope of hate crimes. Uh, Some of you may not know me uh, very well. You may have heard of me, but this could be very well uh, the first time you're hearing me, especially uh, for the people at WGCL. In Bloomington, good to be here, thrilled to be a part of, of the station. I do not believe in hate crimes. As a matter of fact, I can go a step further. There is no such thing as a hate crime. All crimes, one can easily argue, are crimes of hate. If you punch somebody in the face, it is a crime. I mean, there could be extenuating factors, self-defense, for example, but go with me on the conversation. If you punch someone in the face, it is a crime. It is not more of a crime because you punch my Jewish father in the face. My father being Jewish does not make it more of a crime. If my father was black or Hispanic or gay or Asian, it would not make it more of a crime. The problem with hate crimes legislation is that it says some are more equal than others, right? It's Animal Farm. All the animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. That's what's being said here. And I find it personally offensive if you tell me because of my religion, I need special protections because somehow I'm a flower and I can't handle these things. Hate crimes are are the, the concept of hate crimes, just like the concept of hate speech is divisive for political purposes, not for the purpose of creating a better society. I can create all the laws I want about anti-Semitism. I will not stop people from hating Jews. I wish I could, but I cannot. You cannot stop some people from hating people who are black or Hispanic or Asian. Uh, And when, of course, I talk about hating Asians, I'm talking about Ivy League schools. You cannot stop some people from hating people because they are white. You cannot do it. I wish you could. It would be great if I could. But I cannot. I cannot do it. And hate crimes legislation does not help at all. In general, it says in the bill, a person engages in white supremacy-inspired hate crime when white supremacy ideology has motivated the planning, development, preparation, or perpetration of actions that constitute a crime or were undertaken in furtherance of activity that, if effectuated, would have constituted a crime. Interesting. And then uh, it, it continues... Uh, at least one of whom published material advancing white supremacy, white supremacist ideology, antagonism based on replacement theory, or hate speech that vilifies or is otherwise directed against any non-white person or group, and such published material as social media. Uh, wait, let me read it. On social media platform or by any other means of publication with the likelihood that it would be viewed by persons who are predisposed to engaging in any action in furtherance of a white supremacy-inspired hate crime or who are susceptible to being encouraged to engage in actions in furtherance of a white supremacy hate crime. The question before us is, when you say hate speech that vilifies or is otherwise directed against any non-white person or group. So now, wait a second. Is Representative Sheila Jackson Lee saying to me, that if I have something to say about someone who is black, for example, I do not support Black Lives Matter. 
the organization. I have never supported Black Lives Matter. It's a socialist organization run by Marxists whom we have learned are, of course, grifters and have stolen millions and millions of dollars. That's the reporting. Whether we're talking about Patrice Cullors, who owns all of the houses, or other relatives who have taken the money, the money didn't go help people, black people who are black business owners, who had their business destroyed by riots in Minneapolis or Seattle or or Portland or uh, businesses right here in Indianapolis where I'm broadcasting from right now. Money didn't go there. But Patrice Cullors, who heads up Black Lives Matter, she's got a few houses. She's got some vacation spots. Are you telling me that if I take note of that, I'm engaged in white supremacy and therefore guilty of leading somebody to a hate crime? Uh, A conspiracy to commit white supremacy? Well, let me, while it's still legal, talk about how ridiculous Representative Sheila Jackson Lee is. There are plenty of ridiculous white members of Congress, like Elizabeth Warren. No, no, wait, no, Native American. No, wait, not Native American lied about that. Elizabeth Warren. Senator Richard Blumenthal, who lied about his Vietnam service. He's a senator from Connecticut. And there are members who aren't white who I consider to be ridiculous when it comes to policy, like Representative Ocasio-Cortez or Representative Ayanna Presley. And then there's the anti-Semites, like Representative Ilhan Omar or Representative Rashida Tlaib. I will back it all up, my people. I will back it all up. There are ridiculous members, like uh, the guy I call KF Steve, Representative Steve Cohen of Tennessee, the guy who actually... um, I forget what he was, what who he was trying to mock, but he literally ate a, a, a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken on on the House floor in a, in a committee hearing. KF Steve, that's what I call him. Uh, last I looked, Steve Cohen is Jewish, and oh yeah, a fool. People can be. There are two sides of the bell curve. Everybody, of course, people from all walks of life can be fools. I can disagree with them. I can think they're wrong. I can think they're ridiculous. I can think they're bigots. Of course, I can because a I'm an American and b I have a mind, a rational mind that takes a look at what's happening, a look at these conversations, and can say, "Wait a second, that's not right." You're telling me that doing that, if someone happens to not look just like me, that's a crime? We are indeed a long way from the conversations that Martin Luther King was having. Was, was, was having. And people are proud of this. They're proud of the siloing. They're proud of the self-segregating. They're proud of the the attacks, like like somehow this is a good thing. None of this is good or rational or decent. This is horrific and flat out dangerous. Never mind just pathetic. Of course it's pathetic. She's not engaged in a conversation of free speech. She's not even engaged in a conversation of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Unless, of course, you realize that this is exactly where DEI leads you. There's no belief here in, in, in equity. There's no belief here in diversity. And there's no belief here in inclusion. You're not allowed to have a different thought if you do. You're a criminal. 
That's the bigoted Sheila Jackson Lee. There are communists who are going, my gosh, we didn't think of that. We didn't think of that right there. Oh, comrade, comrade, come read what Sheila Jackson Lee writes. Holy. And the comrade reads it and goes, my gosh, comrade, I never thought of an idea that good. Where's Vladimir? We have to get him. He's very busy losing in Ukraine. Leave him be. But oh, is this so good? I mean, he's, yeah, well, he is kind of losing in, in Ukraine. He just has a lot of bodies he can throw at the problem. We will not have an unbigoted society ever. We cannot legislate morality. What we could do is recognize what indeed is moral. And telling somebody they're not allowed to say something is not moral. It is indecent. And we should cast those people asunder. You're not allowed to take someone's life. You're not allowed to steal. You're not allowed to break the contract. And that's why we have courts. Free speech is the single most necessary thing we have to a free society because bad ideas need to get into the public square. They need to be sent up so they can then be shot down and people can go, oh, that's why that's a terrible In just the most rational kind of conversation without levels of anger and hatred and vitriol, which, of course, gets you absolutely positively nowhere. Sheila Jackson Lee is as wrong as wrong can be and has now put herself in a long category uh, of, of people or a long puts herself in a group, in a category. There's something, there's a group, and there's a category. This is what I know of bigoted people. That's what she's done here. Long list, long list, category group. That's what I was going for. Took me a second. Either way, I'm not paying attention to Sheila Jackson Lee. I will continue to engage conversations as I see fit. And, of course, some ridiculous fool will want to call me a white supremacist, which my rabbi's like, Tony, you're fine. Don't worry about it. And that's just the way I'm going to live. Engaged honestly, engaged openly, being absolutely unafraid to speak because, well, that's kind of the job. Find everything. TonyCats.locals.com. This is Tony Katz Today. Continued reporting about CNN Shuffle is fascinating to me. And no, they haven't reached out to me. CNN has not reached out to me to replace Chris Cuomo at 9 p.m. Cuomo is now on News Nation, which is weird because News Nation, one of the, the bookers there was like, would you do the show? And I had to think about it for a second. I'm like, yeah, I would do the show, but I, I don't ask me not to bring things up if they come up. I, I'm not worried about whether Chris Cuomo likes me or not. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything, TonyKatz.locals.com. So they haven't replaced Cuomo yet, but they're moving things around, and Allison Camarota is getting her own 10 p.m. show, and, of course, Don Lemon is part of the morning show, although I can't believe that's going to continue to last. That show does not seem to be working at all. And then they're changing how some of the daytime lineup works, and they actually gave Jim Acosta more hours. They've made him their, like, weekend guy. Four hours on Saturday, three hours on Sunday. That's Jim Acosta. Come on, CNN. We thought you were serious about making changes. And then came this story that CNN, to replace Cuomo, might bring in 
uh, either a Bill Maher or a John Stewart. Ah. Now, look, uh, Maher and Stewart are guys that I disagree with plenty politically, but they've also made me laugh uh, tremendously. John Stewart was better when he was The Daily Show. This show that he has on HBO, the problem with John Stewart, I mean, the, the, the radical embrace of the progressivism has been embarrassing to watch, really and truly embarrassing to witness from John Stewart, who, you know, you applaud when he's fighting for, for firefighters and, and police officers who were damaged uh, and, and made ill by, by September 11th. You've got no problem with that, and although you may disagree with some levels of tactics, which, which I have, uh, I, you believe the heart's in the right place. Let, let's just leave it at that. We'll find a way to be nice to each other there. But his show has just been miserable, and I can't imagine he's the guy. Why would Bill Maher give up what he's got to do that? Sounds Bill Maher doesn't have to worry about ratings. Bill Maher's got a total lock on the Friday night thing. Move on with your day. Licht, who is the CEO, Chris Licht, L-I-C-H-T, he produced The Late Show with Stephen Colbert before uh, doing this, which is running CNN. Um... People have talked about Trevor Noah and Arsenio Hall. Arsenio would actually be interesting. Arsenio would be a very, very, very interesting host. And now other people are saying they're trying to look for their version of John Oliver. John Oliver? You know how many times he's been proven wrong on his HBO show? Oh, Not enough people on the political right who can fill this void. That's part of the problem. This is why I need to be doing TV. TV talk. I've talked about it. I just got to get it done. Find everything. TonyCats.locals.com. TonyCats.locals.com. Bloomington, it's good to be with you on WGCL. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.